You know, more and more people are choosing to change the way they work. They're working from home. There are many more people going freelance. You know, I saw some statistics the other day that, you know, by 2027 in the US, the workforce will primarily be made up of you know, people who are freelancing by choice. The challenge you have, and having been on a number of large global projects in the past, is things like time zones. Um, you know, with remote working, you really lose a lot of cycles waiting for the other, you know, the other half of the office to wake up and come and, and be available uh, to, to actually work. And, it, and that can really slow things down. It can make, make you feel more disconnected to your coworkers because you hardly ever speak with them. Hello, I'm Paul Miller, and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices, and people impacting the new digital worlds of work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, and today's episode is a somewhat special episode, um, because my two guests on the show today are Rita Zonius and Rita... um, is one of the speakers at Digital Workplace Experience, which is taking place in Chicago at the Radisson Aqua, which is a beautiful venue on the 18th of June to the 20th of June, um, 2018, um, in Chicago. Um, And my other guest is Dion Hinchcliffe. It's actually Dion Hinchcliffe. And I managed to get through the whole episode mispronouncing Dion's name as Dion and because Dion is such a polite gentleman he didn't correct me once so I'm now correcting myself anyway Dion Hinchcliffe is well known to many people and is going to be doing a keynote at Digital Workplace Experience called Creating a Sustainable Digital Workplace in the Exponential Era. The talk that Rita is doing is how to find and build your enterprise social muscles. Those both sound like great sessions and and Dion is doing another couple of uh, workshops as well. So there's still time to come to Digital Workplace Experience. And if you go to digitalworkplaceexperience.com or dwexperience.com, you can book to attend. I'll be there along with a lot of people in the Digital Workplace group. So without more uh, ado, um, I will bring you Rita Zonius and Dion Hinchcliffe and the topic which we're talking about, which is the rise and rise of remote working. I'd love to start really uh, by asking you a question, Dion. And so my kind of thesis behind the programme today is that kind of irrespective of the investments that have been made into what you might call traditional offices in the last decade or two decades, uh, research shows that despite these changes, an increasing amount of work has simply left the office. And I'm really keen to explore what this shift in where work is located means for us. Um, so perhaps to start with, am I, am I right in my thesis that um, really work has left the office never really to fully return? First up, Paul, thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, remote working is an interesting trend because it's enabled largely by technology. 
And so as our, our ability to create telepresence, to have web conferences, which is how, how a lot of people get real connection, uh, remote workers get connection back into the office. But of course, you know, large scale collaboration tools like enterprise social networks, they all help and they've enabled that, that, that um, the, uh, the, the trend towards workers that don't need to be in the office, and these tend to be salespeople, these tend to be um, knowledge workers that, uh, uh, you know, like in professional services firms. Those that don't need there, they don't, uh, they'll empty offices back at the at headquarters where you know, you're paying for all that, you know, you're paying for that real estate and, and, the, and the bandwidth and the computers. Yeah, the companies are looking at that this is not really needed. Yet the reality is, is that we're, we're social creatures. Um, and uh, we often thrive best when we're, you know, we have personal contact with our coworkers. So there's no question we've seen a steady and relentless rise in remote working. It makes sense from a financial perspective. Uh, what's not clear is, uh, do we have adequate technology to, to, to capture what we've lost uh, in the process? I still think face-to-face -face is best. I think technology might get there, but that's really our challenge in that um, there's issues with employee disengagement when you when you when you don't feel don't feel connected back to the home office and mm. to your coworkers and so on. Yeah, and I and I got interested in in sort of relooking at this topic, which has obviously been around. Well, throughout I've I've sort of remote worked for now probably about thirty five years mostly, so it's become sort of part of my kind of DNA. But I was reading um, an article that Gloria Lombardi wrote on her fantastic website, Marginalia. And in it, it had an article about remote work that it's increased by 115% since 2005. And it's predicted that 38% of full-time staff will be working remotely in the next decade. And the other thing that I was um, sort of listening to at the same time was a, um, a BBC programme all about digital nomads these generally younger people kind of moving around from one beautiful place in the world to another beautiful place, avoiding kind of rents in, in major cities to kind of work. And I just thought to myself, isn't this more of a fundamental shift rather than, if you like, a kind of replacement of, of, the, of the physical workplace? And I just wondered on that, Rita, um, what, what your um, take is on this movement of where work happens yeah hi i look i see we're seeing the rise and rise of, of co-working you know even here in melbourne near my place there's a a place where you can go and work if you're interested in brewing craft beer and also tapping away on your computer you can do that you know more and more people are choosing to change the way they work they're working from home there are many more people going freelance you know i saw some statistics the other day that you know, by 2027 in the US, the workforce will primarily be made up of, you know, people who are freelancing by choice. So, you know, I think absolutely technology has made some of this easier for people. But, you know, I, I fundamentally believe that the further we march into the digital age, the more we realise that the harder shift to make here with all of this is a behavioural change. As, as Diane was saying before, we are social creatures. So, you know, the question is, is we, we want to work remotely, we want these things to happen, but are organisations fully, fully enabling people to work flexibly in ways that really suit them? And other people who are, who are on the, you know, the receiving end of this are beneficiaries of it. Are they fully appreciating their end of the bargain? So I think there are still some old-school rules and processes and systems that, are, that we're trying to apply to new ways of working. And uh, there's a real mindset shift that still needs to, 
to happen here to catch up with the changes in technology uh, in some organisations and among some people. So just as learning to work out loud or to be social in the digital age requires us to form a new habit uh, in the way we get things done, I think people and companies on either side of this remote working equation also have to have to learn and demonstrate you know, new habits in making remote working more effective you know, over the longer term. Mm. And, and Dion, I mean, do you think the investment, and it's probably running into billions of dollars that's now been made in the physical workplaces, is, is that an investment that's been kind of worth the money spent on it? Um, I mean, are there going to be enough people wanting to make full use of those facilities to justify it, do you think? So if you look at large organizations, you know, like companies like Accenture or IBM, uh, even famously Yahoo, um, have gone back and forth on on whether or not remote working is truly as effective as, as having your staff on site and whether the investment is worth it. And they've at various times have concluded it's not worth it. And if you want to attract the best, you know, the best talent, you've got to give them the flexibility. And I think in all the worker surveys of the last few years, we've seen that that uh, that work life flexibility uh, tends to top the charts. Um, and, you, and you have organizations like uh, ADP, that's the you know, the largest payroll processor in the United States. They um, they have tens of thousands of remote workers, and you know they, they cite the cultural challenge really being the biggest issue that, that a lot of workers haven't haven't learned how to do this, or they don't have home life situations that really make this possible. I like, Paul, what you said about you know, having you know, this lifestyle where you can work from anywhere, but you know, a lot of people have kids, they don't have the flexibility to be able to do that. So I think the issue is complex. And mm. um, the, the, the net result is companies need to have a multi-layered strategy um, to, 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 uh, to deal with the workers who will be more effective and productive in the office versus the ones that will be more productive and effective wherever they need to be. Mm. But you're also saying, aren't you, Dion, that, that, that actually there's something, uh, and, and you've referred to it already as well, Rita, that there's something kind of fundamental to human in-person contact that, that can't be replicated in a virtual uh, world and therefore physical connection remains sort of fundamental in, in work? Is that is that what you're saying? Well, I, I think so. I think the technology with, with things like virtual reality uh, will get pretty close. Even uh, high-definition video conference rooms, the, you know, the, the kind that you see with Cisco and Polycom, get pretty close. It's just the cost investment is, is quite high. Uh, the challenge you have, and having been on a number of large global projects in the past, is things like time zones. Um, you know, with remote working, you really lose a lot of cycles waiting for the other, you know, the other half of the office to wake up and come and, and be available uh, to, to actually work, and it, and that can really slow things down. It can make make you feel more disconnected to your coworkers because you hardly ever speak with them. Uh, using these technologies, you use most mostly um, asynchronous technologies um, like email and and social networks to communicate with them. So, you know, we have we have geography problems as well as I think culture problems. I think mm. there's also a um, out of you know the case of being out of sight and out of mind. I saw a survey published in Harvard Business Review end of last year that looked at how people felt about remote working. And those people who were doing it said that often they didn't feel they were being treated equally. They felt they were left out. They worried about the office politics that were playing out potentially behind their back. 
And so, you know, to Dion's point, there's a, there's a human side to this and the technology is a great enabler, but we, we require trust and, and strong connections and a shared purpose, you know, to ensure that remote working can work. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and this is really interesting, isn't it, about the, the out-of-sight point. And I think what you're referring to there, Rita, is that if there's a sense that, that the kind of power is located somewhere physically that you aren't, then you can feel that you're at a, a distance. I always remember being in, inside a, a, the headquarters of a major pharmaceutical company in, in, in Manhattan, and I was kind of saying to one of the senior managers, sort of, where is everybody? And he said, this, this is, that's the issue. He said that no longer are the leaders of the organisation essentially here in the way that they used to be during the industrial age. They've kind of left. And I, I think um, perhaps I'm probably kind of biased because my own company's experience in the digital workplace group, and we've got 80 people, and for the last six years we haven't had any offices so we used to have an office in New York and one in London, and we closed them down. And because no, there's nowhere that people aren't, what it's actually done is brought the company much closer together, actually, because we do make sure that we meet each other in person quite regularly. And so, but I've, I've, I've sort of, my experience has been, it's almost liberates you from the limitations of having a certain place and I, I I wrote a blog post which was called why no office is better than some office and it was really about um, enabling a more equal um, workplace um, but maybe I'm kind of in a way getting a bit sort of carried away that there's a fundamental shift happening because I I, I sort of equate it to the movement from the agricultural age where people worked in agricultural situations and lived in villages and so on and then the industrial age where we moved to warehouses offices etc and now in the digital age we we work wherever we want but 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 maybe i'm just getting a little bit carried away with this idea well i think that um uh, you guys your organization has background in working effectively using these types of tools and i i think that there is it's inevitable that much or most of the workplace is going to shift out to what I call the network, to the you know the, the, the global systems that, that connect us all together. Uh, but we're not teaching leaders uh, these skills on how uh, what I call network leadership, which is how do you lead over that network when you have you know twenty six or you know fifty offices around the world, as, as some organizations do. Um, you can if you know how to use these tools to do that. But um, as as many have noted, I think it was the corporate executive board said in their yearly report that number one missing skill in management today is this this, this lack of network leadership, this ability to to be able to influence, to guide, to um, to coach, um, mentor, all these things that we think good leaders should do, uh, but do it effectively to where the workers are moving. And so I think you guys might have the skills, but we're not teaching our, our, our executives and managers how to do it yet. Mm. And that's kind of what you're referring to as well, isn't it, Rita, that, that it's almost like the cultural um, habits and practices of organizations have not yet really developed the, uh, the sort of wherewithal to manage in what the, te the technology itself can enable. Exactly. So, you know, those leaders that still value presenteeism, you know, and want to see their people sitting outside their office, 
you know, will struggle here. But the leaders, in my experience, the leaders that I have seen that are, you know, very effective at this understand that, you know, this sort of innovation and creative, creative juice is going to come from diverse thinking and from many different people across an organisation, you know, and that could come from anywhere at all. So those leaders who get this and who understand how to be network leaders um, will use the power of the tools that they have got to, you know, truly tap into those people. So they use social tools for listening. Um, you know, they're getting in touch with people at the grassroots of their organisation. The leaders themselves are making the work that they're doing a lot more visible as well. They're, uh, they're genuinely being their authentic selves and, and telling it like it is as things happen rather than waiting for some particular you know, time of the month to issue a newsletter because that's what they've always done in the past. So, yeah, absolutely, I think network um, network leadership certainly can come from senior people. Network leadership can come from junior people in an organisation as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think the people who get this appreciate that that innovation and that creativity is going to come from anywhere and then they... Uh, they set themselves up, I guess, to, you know, to welcome that sort of behaviour in their organisation. And so mm. then that makes people comfortable to contribute. And I suppose I'm kind of thinking that, you know, it, it really takes um, time to develop, in a way, the skills and, and capabilities. I mean, management itself was a, was a, a way of thinking about work that was developed probably about 100 years after the Industrial Revolution, and, and prior to that, it hadn't it hadn't existed. I'm not saying it's going to take a hundred years during the digital revolution, but it, it 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 takes time. We can we can work in a way that requires less and less physical in person connection. On the other hand, I think what you're both saying is that we don't yet really have the kind of cultural glue and the leadership capabilities. I just wonder. Um, Rita, you know, thinking back to your time at, at um, ANZ, whether this was an issue that was kind of coming up for you in your work and trying to manage this, this, this kind of tension between people wanting this kind of remote flexibility and the, the desire to bring people back to the office? Well, what I what I saw was that um, in, indeed in the in the bank in Australia we we you know we worked across multiple geographies and multiple time zones so that was that was accepted that um, we wanted to use these tools to be able to make that connection um, but that aside you know the the things I saw that worked really well were when leaders truly appreciated that they could use these tools to connect and those leaders who were fearful of, um, I guess, uh, letting go and making their work visible inside of social tools, you know, those leaders who were scared to make the shift and to really embrace it in the way that it needed to be, you know, were just not as effective and, and it came off that way. It was very obvious that they were not engaged and not truly, I guess, committed to, uh, you know, wanting to listen to the network and what was going on all around. They were, they were still trying to behave in the way they used to behave as they would mm. in an email and things like that. And it just does not come off. It, it doesn't work you know, once you start to look at these new tools and a new way of working in the digital age. It's really, really interesting. And, um, you know, some of those leaders 
found themselves, you know, without a without a job, you know, not too far along down the track. So it's uh, it was very interesting. Certainly in the in the bank, there was a real desire to better connect people, no matter where they were, and there was a real commitment. You know, just some leaders handled it a lot better than others. Mm. And and um, Dion, I'm just kind of wondering about this issue of 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 kind of demographics in this um because you know i've i've kind of grown and grown up during a period where going to an office was what was considered the 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 sort of done thing it's something that i always personally during the brief period i had as an employee struggled with but it's it's always been the norm but then i'm i'm really i was really kind of struck listening to the the number of digital nomads that there are and also people in their 20s working in kind of portfolio ways that management thinkers like Charles Handy predicted, where they're combining different things. And is there a kind of um, a sort of time lag? And as younger people kind of make their mark in work, that some of these concerns around um, a kind of preoccupation the way we have done things in the past will sort of dissipate do you think? It could be. Um, going back to what you had said before, you know, it took 100 years for us to get, a, you know, kind of a mature level of management theory around the industrial age, and that we hope that it won't happen. Um, uh, it won't take so long for the digital age. But the te- what we learned, I think, out of all of this is that technology is comparatively easy to change compared to people. It takes time to to learn new skills, to to develop new cultures, and to develop management theory about what works and what doesn't. And we've seen this emerging, you know, now slowly but steadily over the last 15 years, things like uh, wirearchy from John Husband, uh, holacracy, which many organizations have started to experiment with as a, as a way of, you know, you know, taking more virtual organizations and reorganizing them. Uh, but I think it's going to take time for us to find the, the path forward. I mean, if you look at Silicon Valley, which is one of the one of the, uh, the, the big, large, largest bastions of innovation and, and uh, new products and services, new billion, multi-hundred billion dollar companies are coming out of that. They're largely not virtual. And one of the things I've noticed is certain types of work are more amenable to virtualization. All right? And those might be folks like you know, uh, you know, salespeople, uh, consultants, um, call center workers. Um, and others are more difficult. Uh, creative uh, teams, uh, I, I've seen an enormous attempt at creating tools to make creative teams effective when they're distributed. You know, um, platforms like Mural, um, just just to cite one as an example, uh, it, because we're finding the tools aren't don't adequately support certain types of work in a virtual format. So I think that te- even the technology is developing, but I think it's going to take us a while because it just takes people time to change, for the culture to mm. change, for the education to change. Uh, and so, you know, I think we got to roll our sleeves up. I do think it's going to take a lot less time this time around now. Also, you mentioned the examples in Silicon Valley. And as you say, they, on a kind of physical level, they operate in quite a traditional way. On the other hand, there are exceptions. So if you look at Automatic, who own WordPress, which is powering, I think, about a quarter of the the world's um, websites, they have a fully distributed workforce and they talk... Uh, enthusiastically about the way that it's allowed them to recruit from a very wide pool of people around the world, not be um, restricted to the kind of war for talent physically that happens in the Bay Area. And I suppose the question is, are, are they an outlier 
or are they a trendsetter? And and I suppose the answer is perhaps at the moment we don't we don't quite know. Well, and I think uh, technology is a force multiplier, and so it spreads you know the the leaders and laggards apart. And so I think you'll see, um, you know, it's, it's ironic we're seeing, you know, companies like Google, Facebook, and Amazon building these massive central uh, headquarters for these huge investments, and, and a lot of them has to do with their image and brand in the world, not just the physical workplace. So I think, again, the issue becomes more complicated than we would like. Um, but then you have the many some organizations that I track, you know, ADP has, uh, I, I mentioned them before, the, the payroll company has a very advanced remote working program. It's largely opt-in. They don't want to encourage or discourage it, but they, they want to take advantage of it if workers are so inclined. I, I think they've really kind of achieved a good balance there. So automatic is a good example, but it doesn't show, you know, I think it's the large enterprises, um, which, I, uh, you know, increasingly are employing most of the people, which is interesting. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, you can find some examples of, of you know the changes happening there as well, but it's it's on two extremes of the spectrum is what's happening, and I think that's very interesting. Mm. And and when you were talking, uh, the image that came into my mind a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, my partner and I visited a Roman city built in the north of Greece um, called Nicopolis. Uh, extraordinary place it stretches over miles and it was a city built by one of the roman emperors um, octavius who then became augustus caesar and he was the first emperor of rome and he built it as a kind of monument to what he'd uh, the battle he'd won there of course the roman empire was fully distributed across many many countries and geographies but in those days even and i think there's something to what you're saying is that a lot of the uh, particularly large technology companies and other organizations build, in a way, uh, temples to their own brand achievement and value. Um, so, um, Rita, I'm now thinking about something slightly more kind of um, prosaic. I mean, one, and I'd be interested to know what you think of this. I mean, one of the things that we as a company have, have struggled with is is trying to get people who are just out of college to uh, be comfortable with working in this we don't have an office kind of way and um, they that's been a group that's been quite you know tricky because they want more structure and often people are living at home what are your thoughts around that and I and I think you might have a quite an amusing story around it as well well it made me think about the couple I think they're in New York with a son who wouldn't leave their home and I think they sued him eventually to, to make him leave. Right. So he's, you know, 30, 30-something, 30 just wanted to stay at home with mum and dad. So I guess it's a little it's a little the same. Maybe suing them is, is, is extreme. But, hmm. you know, at the end of the day, the, the, you know, there is a, we just have to look at the neuroscience too of, of, of how working away from a, from a corporate environment and being in a place where you are distracted in other ways you know, can work. So the neuroscience says we need dopamine to be creative and the more mm. feel-good dopamine that's released, you know, the more creative that we can be. And and maybe it's about having a different conversation with them, uh, you know, about how, how they can, um, you know, how they can perhaps uh, get, get some better ideas than, than uh, they would otherwise get if they were sitting in, in one place. So when mm. we're doing things that make us feel relaxed, when we're going for a walk, when we're going for a run, we can have absolutely fantastic ideas. 
And uh, for some people that might happen in, a, in headquarters, it, it certainly wouldn't happen to me. I have my best ideas often uh, in the dead of night or uh, when I'm driving my car. So I think, yeah, maybe we just need to start a different conversation with, with, with the people who really feel um, mm. quite tied to the office and, and mm. you know, talk to them about the, the, the other benefits to be gained from working away from a corporate environment. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm um, kind of thinking that, uh, well, first of all, just related to your story about um, the 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 parents suing their son to try and get them out, try and get them get him out of the house. There's there's also a wonderful book that I'd recommend called Property, written by Lionel Shriver, who's the author of um, the book. Um, we need to. I think I'm. I'm not quite getting it right, but we need to talk about Kevin. Um, and, and in it, one of the stories talks about a, a son, maybe it's always the boys, um, who, are, who are, has to leave home. And he then starts to camp in the front garden and then goes on social media to uh, create a campaign talking about how he's being victimised by his parents. Anyway, it's the, I, I like both of these stories, even though they're not really tied to the topic we're talking about. But what, one of the things I am wondering about, just trying to look at this topic at maybe in a sort of fresh way, if we do think about younger people, and then if we think about the way economies are being created across Africa, just using mobile technology. So people who are not physically um, connecting uh, at all and who, pos- who can't, and I just wonder whether, because the technology t- today does allow a level of virtual working that we've never seen ever in human history, whether actually there are sort of deeper, more fundamental shifts in in where work is located. Because I think work's always defined by location from the agricultural age, the industrial age, and now in the virtual age, digital age. And I just wonder whether we're... Um, kind of in a way not perhaps seeing some of these deeper patterns and trends that will will come out as as the you know decades roll on you know the famous saying william gibson said you know the future is here is just unevenly distributed and mm. the the powerful democratizing force of technology and that it is the, the cost of it all tends to drop towards free so you have these you know massive mobile phone networks being created in africa you know, uh, nearly three billion people have mobile devices that have literally thousands of ways to communicate to the extent that it's actually, you know, a challenge to, to figure out which channel you can actually contact people on. You know, we, we even we even have some of this trying to set, set up this podcast. And and so we're, we're all learning, we're, uh, you know, with these we have these powerful tools. We've never been connected like this before uh, and it is shaping the way that we work, everything from crowdsourcing you know, and, and micro tasks and and uh, virtual freelancing and, and and there's entire platforms for it now and, and a collaborative economy with you know everything from Uber and Airbnb which are the poster children for how how those types of networks are organized. We are seeing the way business gets done is being reshaped by this technology and it's happening everywhere to the extent that it is hard to understand how it's fully happening because there are so many ways, thousands of channels, hundreds of ways of working. And so it, we're all learning right now. And it's, it's the most exciting time in history, if you ask me. Um, and we're only just now learning what the possibilities are. So, you know, I think we're, on, we're in for a wild ride. I think the last 
20 years is nothing compared to the next 10. So mm. I, I was really fascinated last week to see um, the uh, the Community Roundtable release its latest state of community management report. So if we just think about what happened, what's happening inside of organisations at the moment, yeah, it was it was uh, made me laugh out loud that there's more demand for community management now inside of organisations as organisations start to realise that this sense of working in a community and connecting that way is a, is a strategic asset. But what they're now seeing is these poor old community managers are being burnt out. You know, they're, they're, they're tired because they're actually being asked to probably do three jobs, you know, instead of one. So, you know, again, this sort of decision-making about our processes and our systems and resourcing has still got a way to go to match, you know, what it is we'd like to happen so, mm. yeah, I thought this sort of example of these poor old burnt-out community managers um, <laughs> yes. was, was a good one. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is. And um, uh, I, I think probably what it brings to mind, and I, I, I think it's something that certainly in DWG we've tried to put a lot of attention into, which is, is creating what I call digital intimacy, which sounds a little bit spooky, but it really just means about trying to connect people in ways that feel valuable and human even if you're working in a distributed way so i mean certainly we as an organization put a lot of attention into that and it does mean that you need to have a persistent level of uh, ability for people to physically meet um but i mean uh, dion you and i have, have only met once quite briefly um, you know, so all of our other interactions have, have been online. I noticed there was a, a, a blog post that you and Semple put up uh, um, quite recently talking about somebody who he felt very close to who had died. And he, I think over a course of 20 years, he'd never physically met this person. And, and so there's something that is possible in, in virtual worlds that we value and has value and i think maybe what um we're we're, we're we're all kind of saying is that organizations haven't yet collectively got their hands around how to optimize this um balance between the physical uh, and the and the digital i'm also kind of realizing that this in this podcast i'm probably coming in with a a bit more of a stronger point of view than I do in a lot of the podcasts because I, I I do personally fundamentally believe that there's a there's a deep shift happening and where work happens that is that is reshaping work in ways that I can't see but but I do believe is is more than just trying to create the office sort of online. Yeah, well, I think uh, it, uh, some people in the in the industry are doing good storytelling because that's what we that's kind of how we've learned, you know, for thousands of years. And 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 the stories of how, what organizations are doing with digital is exciting um, uh, in many ways, you know. And we've talked about it in this podcast. But what Rita said was really important. Uh, most organizations don't even know why they need community managers. And one of the, the biggest challenges is because we're not teaching skills like you know how to create digital intimacy, how to conduct network leadership, the community managers, the burden is falling on them to educate the community, uh, to build the skills, to try and change the whole organization to work more effectively in these channels. And, and that's a large reason why they're burning out. We're not teaching people 
we don't educate them on how to take full advantage of these tools, how to get the value out of them. Uh, and we just try and situate them in a way that we hope that they will use them properly and get the most out of them. But we know that we're still in the cave painting days of, of all of this. Um, mm. And so you know, we're learning, but I think the big component comes back to people uh, and, uh, and we will learn. It just, you know, how are we gonna get there is still an open question. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose the other thing is that maybe, um, you know, we've talked to some extent about some of the downsides. Let, let, let's kind of just roll forward because it, it feels that, I mean, it's 2018. And I think in, in 2008, the kind of conversation about remote working was somewhat different, not, but not kind of fundamentally different, perhaps, to the, the, the main challenges that we face today. But let's roll forward uh, another 10 years, which is always kind of good fun to do. So the, the, the AI starts to arrive, the, the virtual reality starts to arrive, we start to get a far more, in a way, convincing experience um, online. Rita, do you, what, what, what do you sort of envisage for that period? And, and what will the kind of benefits potentially of, 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 of the scenario be? Yeah, I still, I still believe that no matter how far the technology goes and how often it changes, that, you know, we are dealing with people and they are generally fearful of change. So even trying to explain to people why they should work out loud and be social can be a real challenge in some organisations. So I think the technology will advance and advance and, and some people will manage, but... Uh, I think it's still um, quite a challenging road for many organisations and their people to travel. And I think there will always be an element of um, a fear of change, uh, you know, sort of colouring this, this, whole, this whole movement, really. Uh, I don't think that will ever go away. So to me, it's still really important that we don't get carried away too much by the bells and whistles, but that we mustn't forget about the human side and, and mm. building the capability in our people to be able to manage when the technology mm. is changing. Yeah. And, 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 and Dion, I mean, just looking at this from a kind of, if you like, a, a sort of personal professional level from your side, I mean, how has this um, uh, kind of rise and more rise of, of remote working, how, how has this kind of benefited you in your your, what's it allowed you to do in your way of working that you, you couldn't have done without it? Well, uh, the, in terms of my uh, you know, um, ability to spread ideas, there's no question that you know, the, the social media, um, the, uh, the digital world, uh, online broadcasting, online video have, have made it so easy for anyone to take uh, you know, an interesting concept, uh, a story, and, and transmit around the world at essentially no cost. And that's been a, a tremendous benefit to to me professionally and personally is that ability to do that. And I think many others have discovered that same power uh, and not enough have discovered it or, or taking advantage of it, which I think is the challenge. But it's, that's given me a, a quite you know, quite the benefit in terms of my ability to, to, you know, try and change the world, to try and help coach and guide, you know, from my, my perspective. Uh, And there's been nothing like it, I think, uh, ever before. I think it's a bigger revolution than the printing press was. Uh, And so I've been very grateful for it. But uh, I think that's, you know, that's from my end, that's where I see the big benefits. Hmm. 
And, and, and Rita, do you have a, a sort of example, something that you have particularly valued from this um, ability to, to work where you might want to? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, really becoming social in the past few years has, I can honestly say, it's really changed my life. It, it absolutely has. I, I was inside a large corporate organisation for a very long period of time. I started to share my ideas and share my thinking and, and share what we were doing inside. And, uh, you know, it was amazing. Then the doors that opened and the people that I met, um, Dion and I have actually had dinner and had margaritas together. <laughs> so, you know, it's for me, it was, it's absolutely been life-changing, but I think you have to think about it in a very purposeful way. And, you know, I think where people have got a clear, a clear idea of how they want to harness these new technologies that are available, you know, it, it, can, it can do amazing things. And it's also a lot of fun as well. Mm. Yeah, I do, I do kind of wonder whether organisations are sort of not utilising the real potential here because, as, as we've all said, there are so many cultural leadership um, uh, obstacles and habits and patterns. But actually, um, the, the way that technology can liberate work and the way that it can enable work for organisations is is really kind of tremendous. And I suppose just as you spoke, you know, very passionately, Rita, about the the importance of you know the human being, and I think one of the things I think we we really need to do is think about the importance of the human being in in virtual worlds as well as physical worlds, and in a way start to realise that that humanity can be manifest in physical and in digital spheres and that that's an amplification of humanity not a, a sort of either or or a, um or almost a kind of opposition um but can i just um end the uh, end the podcast just by asking you a question that i like to ask my guests which is uh, maybe start with you rita um what what's a perfect working day look like for you so when things have gone really well can be virtual or, or physical. What, what does that look like? Well, when it's gone really well, I've had a perfect balance of, of helping, um, you know, helping some clients to solve some problems, watching a light bulb go off. I've managed to get my children, you know, to and from school in one piece, and I've done some <laughs> exercise. But uh, my... Yes. my um, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to add, what was the, what's the exercise regime you've got? Because I hadn't heard the term before. Oh, so I, um, besides, you know, immersing myself in social technologies and corporate communications, I, I lead another life as a gym instructor and I teach uh, body pump, which is a form of weight training. It's really good fun. More people should lift weight. <laughs> Great. Okay. And, and Dion, so what's, what's, what's a perfect working day look like for you? It's the really goes back to the whole maker versus manager culture that makers, knowledge workers need well, large amounts of time to get something done to really get in the zone. And that's when I do my best researching and writing. And my biggest challenge is, is when I have meetings and calls that are at fixed times and interrupt that, that, uh, that, that writing. And so my mm -hmm. perfect day is really spending a good block of that time having a large block of time to really get that knowledge work done, the researching of the writing, uh, and then being able to, on the fly, connect with my community, with my peers, with the customers that I worked with uh, in, a, in a flexible way so that I can, I, I can balance both effectively. And the days that I do that are always my best ones where I have my best work come out. Uh, and so I think, you know, 
figuring out how we can create workplaces that allow uh, you know the creative processes, which is really where the value comes from, uh, to to work more smoothly, to be organized better. Uh, that's that's a, that's the best for me. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you both very, very much for that. And I think uh, it's bringing to mind for me that one of the things I think I like to combine is is a you know a strong uh, kind of experience of the physical world, whether it's nature or sport or um, interaction with colleagues and other people, but and and, and uh, an experience of, of well, really kind of having the the privilege of being able to then also connect. As we are right now, you know, we've got a producer in um, in in New York City. We've got um, yourself, Dion, in another part of the US. So we've got you, Rita, in in Australia. Myself in in the UK. And you know, then we'll kind of get this digital experience out to a world around where people we get people listening from probably about eighty countries around the world and. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to kind of bring these ideas together and to make them happen? But um, thank you so much to both of you for um, joining the show today. And I'm very excited that in uh, only a few weeks time, we will be together physically and we can have those margaritas. Uh, That sounds like a good drink. We should definitely get a margarita together when we're at the... um, Radisson in Chicago for digital digital workplace experience and um, on the 18th of, of June and um, thank you both for for joining the show and for thank you Rita for, for being prepared to stay up quite late um, uh, really appreciate it no problem at all looking forward to seeing you yeah it was a great, great pleasure Paul I'm looking forward to it as well Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. If you'd like more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com and thank you for listening.